I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jessica Knoll is the author of Bright Young Women, a novel. This is her second time on the podcast. Last time she came on to talk about Luckiest Girl Alive, which is now a major motion picture from Netflix starring Mila Kunis, which was really good, by the way. She also wrote The Favorite Sister and now, of course, Bright Young Women, which was chosen for 8 million things, including a Book of the Month Club pick and Sarah Selects from Sarah Gelman's Amazon Book Review, Book Club, and so many others. She has been a senior editor at Cosmopolitan and the article's editor itself. She grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and graduated from the Shipley School in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and from Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their bulldog. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This time for Bright Young Women, your amazing new novel. Thank you for having me back. It feels like we were just doing this. I know, right? I don't know how a whole year has passed. Seriously, you better (laughs) slow down your writing. What's going on here? Uh, (laughs) My publisher would beg to differ. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can you please tell listeners what your book is about? 
So Bright Young Women is a fictional reimagining of what it was like to survive the crimes of Ted Bundy, um, told from the perspective of some of the women from his final murder spree, which is in Tallahassee, Florida, which I actually did not know until I started researching this book. I always had him kind of firmly in Seattle. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, the way you tell the story is so vivid and real. Like you start out with all of us being in the sorority house and getting to know the sorority president, Pamela, Pamela, right? Super yeah, well. Pamela. Down yeah. to, you know, how she gets ready for bed, basically. Like all the details of her yeah. wandering around the hallway until the unthinkable starts to happen and you mm-hmm. show us as it unfolds and then show us with her calling the parents and show us like escaping mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then you go on and on taking us right into what it must be like. And then the consequences after, how were you able, and I don't know if it was part research or just imagination or what to recreate or what you imagine that would be and really like put someone in that action like that. So there, one of the sorority sisters, about 10 years after he was convicted and was in jail, and it was like, because he was executed in 1989, so I think it might have been the same year he was finally executed. She basically went on to campaign for victim rights, and she was integral in getting the Victim's Bill of Rights added to the Florida state constitution. It was the first time any state had elevated victims' rights to the status of like constitutional rights. And so you can read this Victim's Bill of Rights that the residents of Florida voted to put into their state constitution. And it was directly, um, you know, and I don't put this in the book because it's not my story to tell, but it was directly related to her experience and her sister's experiences from how they were treated by the police. Not that they, not that they had anything, you know, ill to say about the police. It was just that there was no training. Mm. So part of the victim's bill of rights was like to implement training about how to approach victims of violence and where they can turn to for kind of state-sanctioned, like, refuge. Like, a lot, like, their whole thing was, like, when this happened, they were like, well, don't stay in the house, but we don't have anywhere for you to stay. I could not believe that. Yeah, so it's like they had to find their own accommodations. I mean, I still think it's not great for victims of crime, but there are at least, like, victim compensation programs that now law enforcement is trained to say to a victim of a violent crime, you can go to this website. This is going to give you all the information. Like they didn't have anything like that. So really just like reading through this victim's bill of rights was like very, very important. It it really helped me shape those early hours after the attack down from like They weren't even, they didn't even have like an advocate who was giving them correct information about who had passed away, who had survived. So like even that call where she calls and she thinks Mm -hmm. one of the girls is alive and the other one isn't like, that's all based on stuff that I gathered from the bill of rights. Oh my gosh. And then having to call the parents back and be like, yeah, my gosh, I just said they were, she was okay. And oh my gosh, still though. And what about like getting all of the the sorority, like the time of year and all of that. Like, I was just so 
moved by the specificity of it all. And I know that's part of writing and part of everything, but even when they did find refuge in this in the older sorority sister's home and had the one sort of dinky guy like standing guard outside, yeah. and, you know, even like how, even how you imagined, like, tell me about the characters and their relationships yeah. and the boyfriend and all of that. Yeah. So all of that is really, I just came up with that, you know, but because there's not a lot written about the victims, which is so like, I, I really only had kind of like, this is the date, you know, the attacks happened. This is the date he was finally apprehended. This was the date of the trial. So then I just tried to like shape a story kind of around those coordinates. And, um, I really appreciate you saying it felt real in terms of, the 1970s and what it would be like to live in a sorority house because the college I went to did not have sororities. So like, that's a complete, as foreign a concept to me as being a 21 year old woman in 1978 and what that would be like. I ordered a lot of off eBay. I ordered a lot of (laughs) women's magazines from the seventies because I figured that would give me a real sense of like, even how to describe like their clothing or Mm -hmm. like what the the kind of home design scene was like at the time, what was the food they were eating? What was the color nail polish they were wearing? So I ordered like all these old Cosmos and uh, McCall's and like just really incredible. Like, it's just amazing. Like it was amazing to get my hands on them. Um, And I just read them cover to cover. I also was able to order like I don't even know what these are called because again, I wasn't in a sorority and I'm so unfamiliar with this, but they sororities all have like, I don't know if they still do, but they have like quarterly magazines that they release to the alumni network. So I could like, there were ones that I just like pulled from eBay from like 1977, 1978. And it was just like very comprehensive about like what the girls and all of the chapters were like you know, studying what the causes that they, there's a lot of fundraising, like what the causes were that they cared about, what sorts of events did they have, parties, like formals, all of these things. So like, that's really where I got a lot of my information. Thank God for eBay. (laughs) I feel like if this were a Jeopardy question, I would get it wrong when it's like, this author used eBay to form the details of her 2023 thriller. You know, I would never guess Jessica Knoll. Who is? You know, I worked at Vanity Vanity Fair in in Condé Nast one summer and I had to go into the library there and like paw my way through all the past episodes. The fact that you can just like do, do, do on eBay and just get them is, I mean, it would have saved me like a million hours. I used to also work in that. So I worked in at Cosmo and I could, if I was like, same thing, if like an editor was like, oh, can you like pull this? I could get lost for hours. Hours, yes. Hours. It just was fascinating to read like, just, I mean, you just could be tr- completely transported to a different time period. It would be like watching a movie. Yep. And even the ads, like, I feel like the ads yes. tell so much of the story. Oh my God, the ads, the cigarette ads. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's a total time warp. Yeah. I did, I did another project in college actually on on the way marriage is depicted in magazines over time. Oh, interesting. Which was also very interesting. So anyway, I thought that was a real eye opener. It really was. <laughs> it really was. But yeah, and the power of, of magazines to, to report. Yeah. I love how you said that you anchored this around the coordinates because that seems like such a good writing assignment. Do you know, like take these four dates and write a novel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but then it's hard to, 
it's one thing to say it. It's yet another to fill it in with the things that people relate to, which are, of course are the emotions and the people. Yeah. When you were crafting your characters, the heart of all the characters, like how did you think about sort of building all of that out and, and also creating that sense of propulsion um, that the story demanded? Yeah, it was harder than it sounds. And mm-hmm. I also was under kind of a misguided belief like, oh, this is going to this is going to be fun and different than how I've written things in the past and it's going to be I love that you use like a, almost like a writing prompt, you know, mm-hmm. like how it was in school, like a writing prompt and like, you know, like some of the work is done for me. It I don't it still was like so hard. And I actually found that Pamela's story was more challenging than Ruth's mm-hmm. because I had more dates that I was trying to hit, like important kind of flashpoints in her story that I was trying to hit. Whereas Ruth's story was much more open-ended and it took my editor and lit agent because I struggled with Pamela's story so much. I rewrote it so many times. Initially it was from like a, even a different character's point of view. Like it wasn't even wow. her point of view. And they were like, actually Pamela is a really interesting character. Could we try getting the like Tallahassee story from her point of view? And it was actually one of them saying to me, Ruth's story has never given you any problems and you've been much less constrained by trying to hit these coordinates. So maybe just like because it is fiction, like you don't have to be so like, you can, you can let go of some of this if you wanted to. So when they said that, I think that was when I really started hitting my stride Mm -hmm. with Pamela, because I realized like, I have to get at the emotion of Mm -hmm. this. and I can't just be relying on these big dramatic points to like, kind of carry the story for me. Like I still have to do the work. Yeah. I would think I was trying to, always trying to make it easier writing. That's okay. I mean, it's okay. I I want it to not be so hard. That's that's a good... Why is it so hard? (laughs) (laughs) I like that you picked Pamela because as the sorority president, you can just feel her need to control everything. And you're basically taking like this perfectionist personality and being like everything is wrong. Like nothing is remotely right. Like deal with that, which is of course such an interesting thing to read your way through. Yeah. She was definitely in a pressure cooker, you know, and I think those are the types of characters we want to read about where things are just mounting and mounting and mounting until like something has to give some major decision about life where you just kind of break free and you're like, I've got to start living my life on my own terms, you know, which is, you know, as you know, she gets to that point, both uh, professionally and and personally in her romantic relationship. And with her parents. I mean, And with her parents. Yeah. yeah. I was watching some documentary about, you know, disappearances in the wilderness. And there was some story about a kid who'd gone missing for a couple of days and he was presumed dead and then they found him and it was mysterious. Like why he should have been like severely dehydrated and like covered in scrapes and he wasn't, but he was, Mm. he didn't remember anything. And I just remember thinking, oh, what an interesting thing to kind of have as part of your history, your story, but you don't, it's something you don't know about yourself. 
like how how would that kind of inform your life and how does that kind of function as like almost like a secret the character is keeping like a little bit of a withholding where you're like ooh there's something up with her but i don't know what it is where she isn't being kind of annoying and like dangling a carrot like she really didn't know her whole story you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like it if this hadn't happened to her she wouldn't have ever gotten the full picture about her life in order to make different choices where she was going to be more fulfilled and have more purpose. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Wow. So then how do you, you go through the, the drama of the rewrites and, you know, different characters, and then you put it aside. Do you still think about, do you second guess any of it? Do you like, do you go back in your head and think like, should I have kept that? Or what could I have done differently? Or are you just like, okay, put that to bed on to the next? Like till the final day of like turning in your edits, I think you're, oh, I think I'm always trying, always feeling like, there's, you know, the kill your darlings thing, you know, like I killed it, but maybe it could come back this way. You know, it's hard to let go of things that like you think in the beginning are going to be so essential to the story and to your character and to like let go of those things, especially if those are things that you've really spent a lot of time on 
kind of from a craft level where mm-hmm. things are written in a way that you're really proud of, but like, it's just not really part of the story anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, or it's slowing it down in some way or the other. So I do think like letting go of those things is always, and will continue to be a challenge for me. I get that. Everything I delete, I like would save in another file. Just in case. I have in case. (laughs) I do. I I will say there was like one chunk in this book that I was like really loved the writing of it. And my editor was like, it's just slowing it down. You just kind of want to get to the end, whatever. And I saved it and I'm pulling a chunk of it for an essay I'm writing. So it is getting a life somewhere. And I cannot tell you how satisfying it was to like copy paste this one paragraph. And just plop it in there. And I was like, it's polished. It's done. Like, (laughs) always keep those documents because you never know when they'll somehow be relevant to something you're working on that's like tangentially a part of it, but like not the actual book itself. Yes, excellent. I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) thrilled for you that you could find it, that you found a place. Like I repurposed it. That's excellent. (laughs) Checklist. That's awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Do you feel like now that the book is done, you have advice or just a different framework for victims today that you've gotten out of this? Like if you were on the scene or if you were the one training the police to deal with victims or like what would be something that should be included in the training? Yeah, I think like, I think a big one is just getting the information at the same time that the police, you know, information that's, that's relevant to what the victim needs to know, Mm -hmm. but things like, you know, if, if someone's attacker is like paroled Mm -hmm. in some, and they're released from prison early in some States where a bill of rights is not part of the constitution, like there is no one who is in charge of like alerting a victim to be like, your attacker is like back on the street again. You know, that seems like that, that to me is like, and I've and reading up about like what victims' rights mean. And it's very complicated because it's like, there's obviously an intersection between like the rights of victims and the rights of the accused. And you have to, both parties need to have those rights respected. But I would read horror stories from victims who would like go to their local grocery store and all of a sudden standing in aisle Mm -hmm. nine is the person that killed their sister, you know? And so it's like the idea that there's no one who's kind of assigned you know, to be in contact with you about that information. That feels like something that a family of a victim or a victim themselves should be, they could be privy to that information without it being a violation of the convicted or the accused rights. It should really be an automatic email that goes out, right? right? Like you're connected, what emails are connected to the case and, you know. And also like, how are all the systems connected? Like, it feels like that is very, it all feels like very abstract still. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of this is like, you know, they'll talk about how in like the seventies, eighties, nineties, even early two thousands, like police departments and like different precincts, like don't work together. So like, that's oftentimes how these like serial, like 
rapers or rapers, (laughs) (laughs) rapists to add some levity there, serial rapists or murderers are able to operate because the precincts are in touch with one another, but it's still, it feels like that's still happening on some level when things could be digitized. So I don't know. I'm not an expert there, but it, it feels like we still have a long way to go in terms of like what the technology could offer yep. that isn't being utilized. It's chilling to think about, honestly. Yeah. It's terrible. Okay. So what are you working on now? Did you start a new book? Do you have a new book coming out in like three months that we're going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I wish. I am trying to work, get ahead on a next book just because obviously the strike is going on, the writer's strike, and I have other projects that are on pause because of that. So with this time, I am trying to do my best to like put all my effort into promoting this one and getting ahead on the next one. So that's kind of where where I'm at and we'll see how long it lasts and hopefully the strike is resolved soon and we can all kind of get back to work on those other projects because I'm really excited about those too. <laughs> yeah. I know you're not supposed to talk about them now, right? So yeah, we can't. Yeah. Can you talk about the next novel or no? It's still so rough okay. that I don't, don't there's worry. not really a lot to say, but I will say that it's a little bit the way this one was a departure from my earlier stuff and that like, it's the first time I kind of like left a contemporary period. Mm-hmm. This next one is a departure in that like, it's a little sexier Ooh, than okay. I've done before. So interesting. Trying some new things. <laughs> yeah. Gotta keep it interesting. Keep yeah, it exactly. <laughs> You get Otherwise, like, why do it? You, know, yeah. you got to have some fun if it's that hard. <laughs> Did you have input on the cover? Because I thought the cover was so good. Thank you for saying that. And you know what? I'm in love with the cover. And it was the first try, which has never happened before. With my other two, we went through a couple of batches and being like, this isn't quite right or this is okay. This one, it they took a big swing. And I appreciate that the cover is different, a departure mm-hmm. from my other ones, because the story itself is a big departure, you know? So I think that the cover also signifies that. So they really did a brilliant job on it. I think I, I'm in love with it. So Me thank too. you for it's saying so, that. It's so great. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. I like devoured the whole thing. I told. I mean, thank you. I, the first hundred pages I read in like one sitting. I was like, "Don't talk to me," you know, oh, which I love when like you. you know. That's the dream to hear. So. And then you know, just like you know, when you're like petting a book, you're like, "This is yeah." So good. <laughs> I was having that feeling, like, "Oh my god, this is so good," because it, it felt not to diminish books by saying they felt like movies, but it felt like a surround sound book. Oh, you know, that's like, where you're like. In, in it, in, in all your senses, and just like you can't tear away. So that's how I Thank you, because it was a real fear of mine. Like, if I'm going to do this, I, I better be able to capture it accurately, you mm-hmm. know? So that was a constant fear I was battling when I was writing this. So I really appreciate you saying yeah. that. Well, I don't know if it was accurate or not, but it was a great reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it feels accurate. It feels so... accurate. It's totally believable. I yes. buy it. Right. Whether or not it was right. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? You know, my advice is always to write and not to wait around for the right time, the right idea. But then I also feel like I contradict myself because... 
sometimes I do think I start writing too early, like before I've really given an idea and a character time to germinate. So I think you have to, I have to find that balance. And I do think that there is a delicate balance there. But if you if you're a new writer and you've never written before, I think that we tend to err on the side of, well, one day I'll find the right idea and the right, you know, period in my life where like I have the time to do this, you know, mm-hmm. and I can mm-hmm. give this project the kind of effort uh, and total concentration that it deserves. And I think that if you're gonna if you wait to do that, you'll never find that time. has been my experience. So I think just like go for it. And a lot of times you work things out in the process of writing. You can figure things out in the process of writing. So like, don't try and be too perfect about Mm -hmm. it. You know, like, oh, now I have my million dollar idea and character and I can start writing. Like, I wish that it could (laughs) happen like that, but it doesn't. (laughs) Do, Do you have any books that you tried writing in between some of the other books that just didn't work? Oh, yeah. I have one that I put on the back burner probably five years ago that I think I will write one day. I still really like the idea. I just hit a point where I didn't quite know how to make it all come together. And I was like, let me try something else. And then I got going on this one. And this one, really, everyone was really excited about it. And I felt good about it. But I, I have kept that one in the back of my head. Like, I know I'll go back to that one day, some way, somehow. Hmm. Well, that's good. Then it's not so yeah. stressful debating what to yeah. do next. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, but then I feel like I'll probably find myself at the same impasse that I find myself at with every book where it's like, the beginning is exciting. It's a great concept, but then you get to the point where you have to kind of execute you you hit that point in a book inevitably and it's so hard to do. It's really hard to execute. Like that's the one thing I've learned in almost 10 years of writing books is like, is, is, is pulling that off is, is the hardest part. And what's the secret? A lot of work, a lot of drafts, a lot of headaches, sadly. <laughs> Well, at least you can do it though. I mean, I think that's one of the things that separates fantastic authors from other, I mean, you know, you figure it out and you don't give up Yeah, and it's good. I mean, it, and inevitably whatever you figure out, figure out always feels less dazzling than how you had it in your head. You know what I mean? So I think there's still always that part of me where it's like, I conceived that differently, but like I couldn't pull it off in the end. Well, it's working. Stick okay, with it. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations on this book, Thanks. Bright Young Women. It's I mean, you. sure to be a massive hit. It was so good. So well-written. And yeah, great job. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> all right. And I'll follow up with you on email about the rest. Yes. Yeah. 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 That all sounds great. And yeah, great talking to you as always. You too. All right. Good luck. <laughs> all right, okay. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.